Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 26 and also the first two Lord's Days of Lord's Day or question and answers from Lord's Day 27. Lord's Day 26, there we find God's word summarized as follows. How does holy baptism signify and seal to you that the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross benefits you? In this way, Christ instituted this outward washing, and with it gave the promise that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and spirit wash away the impurity of my soul, that is, all my sins. What does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit? To be washed with Christ's blood means to receive forgiveness of sins from God through grace because of Christ's blood poured out for us in his sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with his spirit means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ so that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. Where has Christ promised that he will wash us with his blood and spirit as surely as we are washed with the water of baptism? In the institution of baptism where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He also, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Mark 16. This promise is repeated where scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins, Titus 3 and Acts 22. Does this outward washing with water itself wash away sins? No, only the blood of Jesus Christ and and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all sins. Why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins? God speaks in this way for good reason. He wants to teach us that the blood and spirit of Christ remove our sins just as water takes away dirt from the body. But even more important, he wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that we are as truly cleansed from our sins spiritually as we are bodily washed with water. After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 84, the stanzas 4 and 6. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and brothers and sisters, that includes you boys and girls, what if someone were to ask you what a baptism is? How would you answer that question? And no doubt you would say that baptism is the washing away of our sins. And you are right. That is why we also use water. Water washes away dirt and filth. And our sins make us dirty and filthy and unattractive. And so the water signifies that we have been washed from the pollution of our sins. For that reason, the Catechism says that Christ instituted this outward washing and with it gave the promise that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and spirit 
wash away the impurity of my soul. But baptism is more than that. Baptism is not just the washing away of our sins. Baptism is also about renewal, about rebirth, about being born again. It is not just about being washed in the blood of Christ, but also about being renewed by the Holy Spirit. For if it was just about the washing away of our sins, then you and I would still be in big trouble. For ultimately that would not change us. That would lead us to the unending cycle of getting dirty and being washed, of getting dirty and being washed, etc., etc. There would be no end to it. It would be like mopping the floor with a tap running. For baptism has significance for all of our lives. Time and again we can point to the promises that Christ made that he would cleanse us from our sins. And time and again he would forgive us our sins. That's what God promises. And that's what he does. But isn't that dealing time and again with the past only? With the sins of the past? As Christians, we also have a future. As Christians, we also have a new life. And that is what baptism points to as well. It points to the fact that something has changed inside of us. That we have been made new creatures. For that reason, the questions and answers dealing with baptism repeatedly refer to the work of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is not just the work of Christ, it is also the work of the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit who makes you a new creature. Listen to what it says in answer 73. God wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that we are truly cleansed from our sins spiritually. And that is why in the question also the Holy Spirit is mentioned. It is a spiritual cleansing. We read about this in Romans 6. It says there that we were buried with Christ through baptism into death. In other words, you drown in the ocean of God's wrath. You are put into a watery grave. You die. That means that that is the end for you. But then a miracle happens... For it also says that in Christ we have been raised from the dead and that we have been given a new life. To give new life is work of the Holy Spirit. Do you know why the Lord God wants to give you new life? Eternal life even? Well, it is because God has established a covenant with us. And that covenant is a relationship of Love. It is like that of a relationship between a devoted husband and a devoted wife. He has established a covenant with us because he wants to live with us forever and ever. Just like husbands and wives want to live together. God wants to be near us. He wants us to sit around his throne to glorify his name. He has chosen us to make his name great, to glorify him. That is the significance of baptism. Baptism is also called a seal. 
The seal is a guarantee. It's like a signature or like a password on the computer. It means that it is the real thing, that it is genuine. God's love is real. At this point, it seems that it is all God's work. Christ cleanses us from our sins, and the Holy Spirit renews our lives, and God is the one who establishes a covenant relationship with us. Is that what baptism is all about? Those who believe in believers' baptism would have some serious criticisms at this point. They will say, see, that's what you have with those who believe in infant baptism. They think it is all an automatic thing. You don't have to do anything. As we will see later, that's not what the catechism is saying. And that's what we do not read in Romans 6 either. Answer 7, he speaks about leading a holy and blameless life. A covenant relationship is a two-way relationship. It is a relationship between two parties. And such a relationship calls for both parties to be active. God calls us to respond to his work of washing and his work of renewal. And this afternoon we will see what that is all about. First, however, we will see what God does, for that is always where you have to start. And secondly, we will look at man's responsibility. I will preach to you about baptism as a sign and a seal of the covenant, and then we will first look at the promise, and secondly, we will look at the demand. So I will preach to you about baptism as a sign and a seal of the covenant. First of all, the promise. Secondly, the demand. Question 71 of the Heidelberg Catechism speaks about the promise of Christ. It also speaks about that in the previous question and answer. And it asks in question 71 where Christ has promised that he will wash us with his blood and spirit. And we are told that he promised that already just before he ascended into heaven when he commanded his apostles and Matthew 28, verse 19, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit. And so the emphasis is what is on what Christ said, on what he promised at that time. And so it's, first of all, God's doing. God is always the one who initiates the relationship. He is the one who gives us life. Think about creation. We did not come to God and say to him, please create us. That doesn't even make sense. How can someone who is not even alive say or want anything? No, God created us. It was his will to do that. It was his initiative. He spoke and we became living beings. And now he speaks again and he says that he wants us, he wants to give us the forgiveness of sins. Again, God is the one who does that. The same thing is true of the renewal of our lives, our recreation. He says that he wants to give us the renewal of life. 
You are not going to say to God that you are going to make yourself a new creature and that you are the one who is going to give birth to your own new life. You can't give birth to yourself. No, someone else has to give birth to you. And it is not possible to raise yourself from the dead either. And that's not what we read in Romans 6 either. That through your own power, you raised yourself from the grave. That's impossible. You can't raise yourself from the, from the dead. You can't give yourself life. That's absurd. Only God can give you life, and only God can give you a new life. It is only because of Christ's resurrection that you can share in the new life. That's what he promises, and that's what he delivers. 1 Peter 3, verse 20, connects the water of the flood during the days of Noah with the water of baptism. The form for the baptism of infants on the basis of that passage does the same. It also connects baptism to the drowning of Pharaoh and all his host in the Red Sea. It says there you have drowned the obstinate Pharaoh and all his host in the Red Sea and let your people Israel through the midst of the sea on dry ground by which baptism was signified. Now, Tell me, who is the one who initiated, who is the one who sent the flood? That was God, wasn't it? And who is the one who saves Noah and his family? Again, God. And he, and who is the one who rescued his people in the midst of the Red Sea? Once again, God did that. He made a separation between those who would be destroyed and those who would be saved. On the one hand, you have Noah and his family, and on the other hand, you have those who have rejected God. Noah was saved by the water, and so were the people, Israel, as they fled Egypt, but all the others were destroyed. Baptism signifies all that. It signifies the great and mighty work of God. It signifies that you receive something wonderful from God's powerful hand. It signifies that he is the one who rescued you and that he is the one who gives you a new life. And that is something you can accept with empty hands only. All you have to do is stand in awe of such a wonderful God. And so baptism is not a visible sign that you or I have done something, that I have chosen for God. It is not a testimony to others either that you have become a Christian because you choose for him, that you also choose to believe in him. Also, that's absurd. But... That's what those who believe in believer's baptism only believe. To them, baptism shows that you have chosen God. To them, baptism shows that you have chosen life. But now listen to what Peter says in verse 21. This water symbolizes 
baptism that now saves you also. How does it save you? Well, it saves you by the resurrection of Christ. Baptism is a sign of new birth. When do you receive the new birth? When were you reborn? When you believe? When you are the one who accepts Christ as your Savior? No. At the very beginning of his letter, Peter also mentions the resurrection. And he mentions the resurrection in connection with the new birth. Listen to what he says in 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us, and here it comes, he has given us a new birth. How? Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so according to the Bible, you are given a new life. You are born again when Christ rose from the grave. It is then already that you were given a new life. It is then already that you became a new creature. Of course, that was long before you were born. That happened some 2,000 years ago. But nevertheless, it is because of God that you are given a new life. That is what God promises. And that is what he will deliver to you. Brothers and sisters, if you leave it up to man, then you are on very shaky ground. And then you do not have a correct view of the covenant. And that has a lot of ramifications. It has ramifications for the generations. But then you will say to your children, well, children, I will wait for you to make up your mind whether or not you will choose for God. Let's hope for the best. What do you think is going to happen? Then they will more likely choose for the world than for God. For the world is very attractive. And then you do not bring up your children with the idea that God is the one who is all-powerful, that he is the one who is sovereign, and that you must be obedient to him, to his work of creation and recreation. And that your children must acknowledge what he has done. Oh, sure, there will be times in your children's lives that this has no meaning for them. But that does not mean any less that therefore those promises are not there. Time and again, you can remind them of those promises. And the emphasis may not be on man in this. The emphasis is on God. But as I said, it does mean that you have to respond to your baptism. We come to the second point. As we saw, God makes promises to you. He speaks to you. And when he speaks to you, then you have to respond to him. Just like when your parents speak to you, children, then you also have to respond to them. Now you can't just sit back and pretend that they didn't say anything. No, they did, and you had better listen. Or else those words that your parents spoke mean nothing. And that's the same thing with God. 
Those words then that he spoke at the time of your baptism, if you don't respond to them, will mean nothing in the end. For you see, God does not use us in the way we use the remote control for the television or the VCR or the radio. You push the button and then a device goes on or off or it goes louder or softer or it goes to another channel. The remote makes the device react in accordance with the buttons you push. But that's not how God deals with us. You're not a puppet on a string. When God says something to you, then you have to react to him. But if you do not react to his promises, then nothing will happen either. God makes promises to children of believers. He makes promises to them because the parents promised to bring their children up in the way of the Lord. They are brought up in Christian homes. They are brought up with the knowledge of God. They are brought up to know what it means to belong to the world and what it means to belong to God and how they must choose. They are brought up to make choices in their lives, whether or not they want to live for God or whether or not they want to live for themselves. God speaks to them through the parents and through the office bearers. And that is why we baptize them so that they can have the sign and the seal of the covenant as a reminder of God's work. But if they do not react to God speaking to them, if they do not react to God's promises, then his promise to rescue them from Satan and the world will not apply to them either. When the Lord Jesus says to you that he forgives you your sins and that he will send you his Holy Spirit to renew you, now you can either believe that or not. To believe God is a command. You have to accept his promises. And God makes those promises on the basis on what he has done through Jesus Christ. He makes those promises on the basis of his resurrection from the dead. That was a real event. But that was an event only for those who believe. Unbelievers will not receive the benefits of Christ. They will not share in his resurrection and they will not share in the forgiveness of sins. It makes no difference whether you are baptized or not. If you don't believe, God's promises have no meaning for you. That's also clear from Romans 6. We first read there about God's sure promises. In verse 4 it says that they were buried with him through baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too may have a new life. That's a promise. And in verse 6 we read that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with and so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Again, that's a promise. It's God's doing alone. But then look at a few verses further. Paul states there what that means. He shows us how we must respond. He gives a command in verse 12. And what does he say? Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. 
There you have the response. And in verse 13, do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer your part of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. Again, there you have the response. First the promise, then the response. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, baptism gives you an enormous responsibility. If you define baptism as just receiving something from God, such as the washing away of your sins and the renewal of life, then you've got it dead wrong. It goes a lot further than that. It goes a lot deeper than that. The scriptures are very clear on that. God puts you to work. God puts our children to work. He puts you to work right now as well in your listening. Also, those who have a hard time keeping their eyes open right now because it's a little bit stuffy in here, God also puts you to work to listen. As soon as they were able to understand, the parents can remind them of the promises that God has made to them. God rescued you from death and he gives you life. But now you also have to accept that life from God and live in accordance with it. Are you listening? Are you also listening, children of this congregation? Do you know what it means to be baptized? It means that you are a child of God. And I will say more about that when we lead, deal with the last question and answer of Lord's Day 27 that deals specifically with the baptism of infants. Baptism, let me say for now, means that you are a child of God. That's what God promises to you. But now you also have to live like a child of God. Now you also have to do what God wants from you. He does not want you to live as if God does not exist. He does not want you to lie and to cheat, for example. He does not want you to be unkind to your friends. He does not want you to have a big mouth to your father and your mother. I know that happens. For you're also sinful. But then when it does happen, you should also pray to God to ask him and also your parents to ask for the forgiveness of sins. For you sin every day, and so do I, and so do your parents. And that is why we have to ask for the forgiveness of sins, and God already promised to you at the time of your baptism that he will do that. He will wash your sins away. And we have to show time and again how sorry we are for our sins by trying time and again not to fall into those same sins. And in your prayer you also praise God for the wonderful things that he has done for you and continues to do for you. And you see, that is what our relationship, our covenant relationship is all about. When God made his promise to you at the time of your baptism, Now, you did not understand anything that he said. You couldn't. You were only a baby. 
But he makes those promises to you, not just at one time, not just at the time that you were baptized. No, he makes those promises to you time and time again through your whole life. And every time, you also have to answer him. Your whole life long, you have to grab on to God's promises. Your whole life through, you have to live out of God's promises. You may not think, well, I've been baptized. And everything is well between God and me. After all, my baptism shows that I'm a child of God. Your baptism is not a guarantee that you will be saved. But it is a guarantee of what Christ has done for you and of the fact that when you believe in him, you will be able to receive his wonderful gift and God will send you his Holy Spirit so that you will be able to persevere in your life, your whole life through. God doesn't easily let us go. And that's wonderful. It sometimes appears that those who believe in believers' baptism only that they are much more enthusiastic in their faith. They seem to be more convinced and convicted. And sometimes it appears that those who believe in infant baptism do not have such enthusiasm. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that may not be so. Then you are throwing away your Reformed heritage. And the fact that it is not so is not because of the doctrine of infant baptism as such. It is only because of the wrong way in in which you respond. You have to respond in an enthusiastic and positive way. And so let me ask you, how do you respond to your baptism? How do you respond every day? It doesn't matter if your baptism happened some 20 or 30 years ago or even if it happened 80 or more years ago. The promises of God are just as valid now as they were then. And every day you have to respond to God's promises. And you have to do that enthusiastically for look at what you have been given. How rich you are. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, be enthusiastic about God's wonderful promises. Isn't it wonderful that God has given you life, eternal life through Jesus Christ, His Son? Think about it. Think about how privileged you are compared to all the other children all over the world. God speaks to you and He makes promises to you. The Lord Jesus Christ has given his life for you. And that's wonderful. But now you also have to give your life over to him. You may share not only in his death, but also in his resurrection. You have been given a new life. And God tells you that you may live out of those promises. And do that today and tomorrow and the rest of the week and the rest of your life. And all those wonderful promises will be yours. That's what baptism signifies. Amen.